listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Today we will be reading from Exodus 40. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put it in the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. And you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests and their anointing shall admit them into a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles in the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place <clears throat> the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the lord had commanded moses 
He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. <clears throat> but if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer for the sermon today. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for giving us the history of the people of Israel and how it applies to us today. I just pray for the sermon that you soften our hearts to hear new truths about you and help us to understand you more and help us to serve you better and love you better. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rob, and I'm one of the elders here at Renaissance Church. And what you just heard read was the final chapter uh, in the book of Exodus. Everything in the books of, of Exodus has been leading up to this point. I mean, really, everything since the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, has been leading up to this point. God's glory that we see descending into the tabernacle, his very revealed presence, was always meant to dwell with his people. God has always wanted to be known, not, not in a narcissistic sort of way or a self-attention, self-centered sort of way, but in a way that benefits those who are created in his glorious image, me and you. But we see in Genesis 3 that man, Adam and Eve, they traded in the glory and the truth of their creator in for the lie of the creation, the serpent. And so ever since Genesis 3, God has been on this rescue plan to come and dwell with his people again. He's committed to making himself known, to be made known. This is the, the theme that we see woven through the tapestry of the book of Exodus. God makes himself known in order to be known. God made himself known at the burning bush to Moses so that God would make the great I am known to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would let his people go. God sent plagues so the Egyptians would know that the great I am is the God, not just over the Israelites, but the God of all of creation. 
God rescued his people from slavery so that they know that the Lord God is the great I am. God made himself known in the parting of the Red Seas. God made himself known when he provided manna and quail and water from the rock, even though they were grumbling people. He made himself known as one who offers steadfast love. He's abounding in grace and offers mercy to those who are in need. He has made himself known. And today, in this text, mm -hmm. God makes himself known yet again through the finished work of one man. Amen. But how does God make his glory known today? How do we experience it? How do we encounter it? How, how do we respond to it when we do encounter it? And how do we, who have experienced it, make it known to others around us? Well, we will hopefully answer those questions and more through, through two points here in Exodus chapter 40. First point is, it is finished. And the second point is, it is filled. And on these, these two pillars, it is finished, it is filled, We'll be able to build a bridge across those pillars with this main point. Through one man finished work, through one man's finished work, the glory of God was and is revealed. Through one man's finished work, the glory of God was and is revealed. And so if you're with me right now, let's dive into that first point. It is finished. We see in chapter 40, verses 1 and verse 17. Go ahead, keep those Bibles open so you can refer to these passages with me as I go along. Verse 1 and verse 17 answers for us the question, how, how long has it been since the Exodus? Well, look what we read in verse 17. Then Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. It's been a year. It's been a year. They're about to celebrate their first anniversary of the Passover. I mean, just imagine that for a second. A year of traveling. A year of grumbling. A year of waiting. A year of anticipation. And now the Israelites, they've finished and completed the work, brought the work to Moses. And like the Lord did on the seventh day of creation, he looked at it and blessed it. Moses, at the end of chapter 39, looked at the work that the Israelites did and blessed it. The Lord, though, now has one more job for Moses. Assemble the tabernacle. From verses 1 through 8, we see God commanding and reminding Moses where everything is to be placed and put up. Hey, hang the curtains over there. Put the lampstand there and the altar here. And then we see from verses 9 to 15, something significant is happening here. Everything, including the priests, must be made and must become holy. Look with me in verse 9. The Lord says to Moses, then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. 
and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. Somehow through this oil, everything was made holy. It became holy. But why did it need to be made holy? To become something means that it was altogether something else before. It was unholy. And you might, how so? Why, why was it unholy? Well, remember, everything that they used to, to build all the furniture and the furnishings, it was given to them by the Egyptians as they exited the city. Do you remember that? I mean, these goods came from an unholy nation that practiced divination, that practiced ethnic-based slavery, that practiced ethnic cleansing of firstborn sons. And then you get to Levitical priests, verses 12 through 15. They needed to be made holy. You see, what is unholy cannot come into contact with what is holy. God's holiness requires holiness. Mm -hmm. In Moses' third volume of the Pentateuch, he writes this in Leviticus chapter 11. For I am Yahweh, your God. So you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. You must not defile yourselves by any swarming creature that crawls on the ground. For I am Yahweh, who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. So you must be holy because I am holy. Holy. Now, there, there's some of you who might be listening who might stick your nose up at this. Or you might have friends who stick their nose up at this and say, This is why I don't do religion. It's so narrow minded, it's so exclusive, and it's so intolerant. But I think we need to hold on a second. I mean, what, what you're describing is the essence of cancel culture. People must be fill in the blank enough as I am fill in the blank enough. If people aren't woke enough, reformed enough, liberal enough, conservative enough, centrist enough, right enough, left enough, if you aren't as I am, Canceled. You, you and your friends, you hold that value as well. But God, who is holy, is also merciful. And he provides what we lack. This cancel culture only judges and says, we're finished. God's holiness culture, gracious culture, provides mercy and grace when we recognize and admit that we can't mm -hmm. and that we're anything but holy. Look, they didn't have to work to provide or prove their holiness. God made them what they could not make themselves on their own. He, did you see that language? He made them holy, and they became holy, set apart, glorious, 
And as we keep moving through this narrative, starting in verse 15, we notice this repeated phrase. This repeated phrase as Moses with detail erects the the tabernacle. Verse 19, 21, 23, 25, 27, 29, and 32 has this phrase, as the Lord had commanded Moses. It's through this one man the work was finished. It's almost as if you can hear Moses reminiscing about creation. Seven times we read the phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses. And it was every day for seven days that the Lord spoke and creation responded as he commanded. And at the end of seven turns of the earth, God looked and was pleased. And the work of creation was finished. And at the end of seven turns of a phrase, as the Lord had commanded Moses, Moses looks, we read in verse 33, So Moses finished the work. According to all that the Lord had commanded, Moses finished the work. And as soon as the work is finished, it is filled. Second point, it is filled. We read in verse 34 to 38, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud was on the tabernacle by day and the fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of the Israel throughout all their journeys. Oh, do, you, do you see that the Lord is eager? He's eager to make himself known. He's eager to be present with his people. It's like a, it's like a child waking up on Christmas morning, runs past the bathroom, runs past breakfast, and straight to the lit tree with all the Christmas presents underneath it. In the same way as the the work was finished by this one man, the Lord's glory was revealed like that. It It was immediate. I mean, can you taste and see the goodness of God's character towards us? God is eager to be with you. God is eager to extend mercy and grace to you in your time of need. Are you in need? God is eager not just to stand far off like a dispassionate father, but he comes sprinting at the sight. He comes sprinting at the beckoning call of his wayward children when he sees them coming home. God is eager to show you his never failing, never ending, never giving up, always and forever love. Mm -hmm. And he does this. He's eager to give this to you, not because I finished the work 
or you finish the work. He's eager to do this because one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, finished the work on our behalf. And as soon as you turn from your wayward ways and come back to him through Jesus, God immediately descends on you in the work of the Spirit, and he fills you. He fills you with his presence, not by the work that you've done, but by his glorious work that was done through his Son on the cross. Oh, what good news. This is where God's glory was revealed, not just in the temple, Mm -hmm. but on the cross. But what is glory? What exactly is the glory of God? Well, the Bible in Psalm 79, it talks about God's name, Yahweh, being glorious. Mm -hmm. In Psalm 57, God's glory is not something that just fills a temporary space like the, like the temple or the tabernacle. It's something that fills the entire earth. God's glory is not just something that he possesses. It's, it's something that we are called to ascribe to him, to give glory to him. We see that in Isaiah 24. It's something that even if we don't do it, if we don't show off his glory... The rest of creation will continue to do it. It can be experienced and seen in all of creation. We see this in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. It'll be up on the screen for you. The heavens declare. What do they declare? Can you say it with me? The glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's there's no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all of the earth in their words to the end of the earth. This is the beautiful doctrine of general revelation. That when you see all of creation, it's shouting to us, it's screaming out at us without a sound. And it's screaming the glory of God. God's glory is revealed in all of creation. And it encompasses his greatness, his beauty, his perfection, and all that he is. I mean, do do this for me. Imagine the the best thing that you have ever experienced. It might be something that you've bought, you've eaten, you've heard. Maybe it's music you've ever seen or ever imagined. What what happened when you experienced it? I'll tell you what didn't happen. You weren't like Eeyore going... I guess I'll enjoy this now. No, when you experience it, you were stunned. You're at a loss for words. Your emotions are running wild, more like Tigger. You're bouncing all over the place. It's like, it's like watching in the evening the first snowfall of the season. And you decide to step outside and you walk in the silent of the streetlights. God's glory is like that. God's glory is like watching a mother hold her child for the first time. I mean, after hours of labor, the pain of childbirth is eclipsed and it's outweighed by the joy of the love between a mother and her new child. That's what glory is like. But these things are momentary. Those things I just described to you, they're, they're momentary. 
But God, his glory is infinite. For forevers upon forevers, in everything that he is and everything that he does, God is greater than any human experience and human description. Every attribute of God, every action of God is stunningly beautiful in every possible way. Every characteristic of God and every accomplishment from his hand is perfectly perfect. This is what we mean when we talk about God's glory. What is God's glory? It's his infinite worth gone public. God's glory is his infinite worth gone public. And elsewhere in scripture, in 1 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul waxes and wanes on this a bit. He even says that man is not just the image of God, but is the glory of God. God's glory is meant to be revealed through people who are created in his glorious image. Everything we are to do is to reveal and give glory and ascribe glory to the one that has created us. So whether you eat or you drink, the Apostle Paul says, do everything to the glory of God. Everything. John Piper writes this in his quintessential work, Desiring God. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And we see at the end of Exodus 40, the Israelites being satisfied. When God was with them, they stayed. When God was taken up, they went out, following and resting in his glory, satisfied in it. I wonder, why, why are you so dissatisfied? I mean, what? Why am I? Why are we so dissatisfied with God's glory at times? Why do we not experience this deep rest and joy in God's glory? I think it's for for three reasons. And it's not because I'm a preacher there's three reasons. It's the only three I can think of. Uh, Three reasons why we're so dissatisfied. I, th- I think what we've done is we regularly exchange the glory of the immortal God for the glory of mortal man. We exchange the truth about our creator in for the lie of creation. We worship the created instead of the creator. I think that's, for some of us, that's the reality. Mm-hmm. We worship the things here on earth more than we worship the one who created all these things. Like Pastor Andrew said last week, all these things that we have, these good gifts, are meant to point, they're signs to point towards the giver of all these gifts. So that's one reason. We exchange glory. Mm-hmm. But for some of you, here's a, here's a second reason. We're meant to be image bearers. What that means is we're meant to mirror. We're supposed to be a reflection of who our creator is. Mm -hmm. But so often, we want to give glory to what we see in the mirror. The image that we see when we wake up in the morning and before we fall asleep at night. Glory thieves. That's why we're so dissatisfied. But third, 
I think this is the most weighty reason of them all. Many of you, like me, still believe we're stuck in the same predicament that Moses finds himself in at the end of Exodus 40. See, the last thing we see in the book of Exodus is both stunningly spectacular and also disheartening. Tabernacle's built. God's presence is there. Cloud by day, fire by night. He's now with his people. But Moses can't enter. Not even Moses is able to enter the tabernacle because God's glory is so powerful, too holy, too glorious. And notice the only thing that wasn't anointed in that list, Moses. And we're still living as if there still needs to be work to be done, like Moses, who can't enter the tabernacle. We still live as if there's work that needs to be finished. We're still living as the ones who need to make ourselves and prove ourselves to be holy. We still live as if God will be most satisfied with us when we live most according to his word. Does God want us to live according to his word? Yes but he does not give grace to those who proudly and arrogantly obey it as if they can. You know who he gives his glorious grace to? Those who humbly admit that they can't without his help. Those who admit they can't. I mean, this is the lie that we believe, that if we don't do everything according to the word, then God will be finished with us. We fixate on that lie rather than the glorious truth that when we admit that we can't and Jesus can and Jesus did, that's when we experience his glory. When we look at the finished work of Jesus on the cross where God's glory was most clearly displayed, where before Jesus was crucified, he prayed this in John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent I've glorified you on earth, have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I've had with you before the world existed. You see what Jesus is telling the Father to do? Is to display his glory, make known your glory at the hour. What is the hour? The cross of Christ. See, up to this point, Jesus did Everything according to the word as the Lord commanded him. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary as the Lord commanded. Jesus was of the line of the Davidic king 
as the Lord commanded. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River as the Lord had commanded. Jesus was sent into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights by the Spirit. He was led out there, was tempted in every way, yet was without sin as the Lord commanded. Jesus healed the sick, gave sight to the blind. He set the captives free as the Lord commanded. Jesus went from town to town preaching the kingdom of God and doing the will of his Father as the Lord commanded. Jesus pleaded, the night that he was betrayed, pleaded for the cup of wrath to be taken from him. But he says, not my will, your will be done as the Lord commanded. Jesus was arrested, tried, crucified under Pontius Pilate. He was pierced for our iniquities, crushed for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement of us all as the Lord commanded. And it was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he bore our shame as the Lord commanded him because we have not done as the Lord commanded us. And before he took his final breath, he looked at all the work that he has done. He looked at the nail in his right hand, the nail in his left and the nail in his feet. And he says, it's finished. The work of you trying to prove yourself to be holy is finished. The work of you trying to muster up all the strength to prove your worth before God is finished. The work of you of trying to earn your acceptance by God is finished because I have done it in my life, in my death, and I promise to do it as I commanded on the third day when I rise from the dead. It is finished. The work is finished. The work is complete. And at that very moment, the curtain of the temple that Moses was not able to enter into was ripped into so that you you and I, at the moment we turn from our sin and come to Jesus, we have direct access to the presence of God, to the glory of God, for the glory of God. Don't you see? It's that when you look at the cross of Jesus and behold God's glory, we become undone like Isaiah. Say, woe is me. I am unworthy to stand in his presence. And when we cry out for help, when we cry out in our time of need to be saved, you know what God does not do to us? He does not say, I'm finished with you. He does not stand far off. He doesn't just put up with us. He sprints towards us, wraps us up in his loving embrace. And as quick as we recognize our need for Jesus is as quick as his glorious presence, the spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity comes into our lives and comes to save us from the penalty of our glory thieving lives. See, this is why as odd as it sounds, making our lives about being a more obedient Christian is a great way to become like a terrible Christian. Mm. You cannot do the work as the Lord commanded unless Christ has done the work in you first. Mm -hmm. 
You cannot get the power to finish the race Christ began in us by the law, because that's not how the work began. It began by his grace. The power to finish what Christ started can only come from the glorious gospel of grace through Christ, who promises that not only that he will start the work, but finish the work in us. It is finished, and he fills us, and it's a finished work, not just at the beginning, but all the way to its glorious end. That's why being holy is less about behaving and more about beholding. It's less about doing and more about depending. It's less about good instructions and more about the good news that it is finished. Put your work down. You have nothing left to prove. Jesus is our proof. The direct route to glorifying God is not born out of good behavior. It's born out of good beholding. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us, and we with unveiled faces, when we behold the glory of God, the Spirit of God changes us from one degree of glory to another. How do we respond? We behold Him. How do we show off God's glory? We behold His glory. And He changes us. He does in us what we are unable to do on our own. And that same glory that began the work will continue the work and will complete the work. And it will be with us when Jesus returns to finish the work. I want us to close. Close with our eyes closed, our hands in a receptive position, and here, where those who are written in the Lamb's book of life are headed. We don't work for this destination because this destination has already been finished and it's already filled. So here from the end of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John says, And I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does that what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. With those eyes closed right now, I want you to hear, through the finished work of one man, the Lamb of God, God's glory has been revealed to you. And that same glory that began the work will finish the work in you. You cannot be taken out of the Lamb's book of life once you are in. It's all because of the one man who finished the work on our behalf. Christ, God's glory revealed to us. 
Oh, let us be a people who know, don't just know Christ, but make him known. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for revealing your glory to us. We don't deserve to see it. We don't deserve to experience it. We don't deserve to.